Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, last week we started a new series called What's In It For Me, and Chris Blanchard attends our church and teaches business classes, and he said to me that in the business program that he's part of, every student is taught that every customer is asking that question as they enter into a business, what's in it for me? We live in a consumeristic society where the question of what's in it for me is is often asked intentionally or unintentionally. And sometimes this mentality can leak into how we view God and how we view spiritual disciplines. Over the last 14 days, we have been in a season of prayer and fasting, and the goal is 21 days. If you've missed or you haven't been a part of it the last two weeks, I'd encourage you to dive in this week. It's just an intentional time where we set aside some things from our life to tune in, to, uh, to tune our ears into the Spirit. Last week, we talked about the fact that sometimes we can view spiritual disciplines as transactional. And so we can say, Lord, I fasted and prayed, now do this for me. Or Lord, I read my Bible, now you need to do this. And the reality is God doesn't owe us anything. What he did in sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us was more than what we deserved. And if he doesn't do anything else for us in our entire lives, he's already been very kind to us. As we grow and mature in our relationship with God, we should move from thinking of spiritual disciplines as transactional and instead view them as relational. When spiritual disciplines are a have to, it robs us of our joy. When we view them as that the creator of the heavens and the earth, the king of kings and the Lord of lords invites us to spend time with him, it changes our perspective and leads to joy. Our prayers become more personal. The reading of the Bible becomes you can't get enough of it. And in all of this, God is glorified and our relationship with God grows deeper. I pray that your hunger for the word of God is insatiable this year. I pray that you can't put the Bible down, that it'll be bread and life to you. His word is powerful and moves us from where we are to where we belong. I pray that reading the Bible this year won't just be something that you check off of a to-do list. Instead, it'll be life for you. This week, I listened to a podcast where the question was asked, what is the primary sign of a mature church? Think about that for a second. What is the primary sign of a mature church? The answer that was given is that the primary sign of a mature church is immaturity. I like some of you went, huh? And then they used this example. They said, think of the great giant sequoias. What are they surrounded by? They are surrounded by seedlings. For those of you who have been out in the woods deer hunting this season, you'll know that if there are mature does and mature bucks, what else is going to be out there? Fawns. The greatest sign of maturity and the greatest contrast to maturity is immaturity. They went on to say that this really reframes everything in the church. If you have a mature church, you're going to have immature people because mature people are going to be inviting others and everyone has a starting point. 
And so there are so many thoughts that I want to share about this for just a moment. And if you'll allow me, which doesn't matter whether you're going to allow me or not, I'm just going to go down this rabbit trail and share a few thoughts with you. We exist as a church to inspire and equip people to give their whole lives to God to grow in their relationship with him and others and go tell the world the good news. And we seek to do this by making disciples and developing ministers. Disciples and ministers are made and developed by spending time with the one in whose image they bear. So disciples practice spiritual disciplines. They fast, they pray, they read their Bibles, they study the Bible, they worship, they give, they serve. I think of it like this, hunters hunt, teachers teach, basketball players ball, right? Servers serve, disciples practice spiritual disciplines. So how do you, how do you observe or how do you recognize a mature church? It'll have immature people. To use a word that has less of a negative connotation, a mature church will have mature Christians. It'll have seekers, it'll have people who are far from God and baby Christians and everything in between. And in Christ, we all need to grow up. In Christ, we all need to grow up. Look at your neighbor and say, grow up. (laughs) Drew Ecton said, I'm not looking at my wife and telling her to grow up. Now look to the person on the other side of you and tell you to grow up. See, she told you. Here's why, again, we go back to the second phrase of our mission statement, which is to grow in our relationship with Jesus and others. There's so much to learn about God. And in this life, we will never cap out on the knowledge that we'll gain of God. His mercies are new every morning. Some of you will relate to this uh, illustration uh, more than others, but Erica and I are new empty nesters. Um, And Tuesday night, we had... Our daughter and our son-in-law, I'm just telling you, that still just sounds so weird to say two weeks in, you know, that I have a son-in-law and our son. They came over for dinner, and Juliana was telling us about the resort that they stayed at for their honeymoon and how it was an all-inclusive and all of the desserts and the food that she was able to eat. And and she said, I've never been to an all-inclusive before. And my son, who was raised in the same house as her, says, I don't know what you're talking about. Every vacation I've been on has been all-inclusive. I said, I know that's right because your mom and dad have paid for it. I'm taking a minute to get here, but there are appropriate seasons, right? There are seasons when you are the child and there are seasons when you are the adult. There are seasons when you're the novice and there are seasons when you're the expert. In life, we'll have this moment when you'll be called upon and expected to be the mature person. Life does this. You have a baby, now you're expected to be mom or dad. You're expected to provide and nurture and train. One day you're gonna be looking around the table and realize that you're the seasoned person. Think about the small groups that you're part of, the men of iron small groups or the sisterhood small groups or the classes that you're taking or FPU or any of the options that are there. I look around the table that I'm part of on Tuesday nights at Men and Iron and I realize that there are men who have been studying God's word for decades longer than me. In addition to that, there are men who are just beginning their journey in reading the Bible. And one day, you're gonna be the seasoned person at the table. 
And when that day comes, because you've practiced spiritual disciplines, you've made them a priority, you will be stronger and better equipped to disciple those who are new. The church needs you now, and they need the wisdom you'll garner over the next 20 years. 20 years from now, the body of Christ needs you to be at a different level than where you are right now. Today, we're going to talk about the discipline of Bible reading and study. Sometimes Bible study can be misunderstood as personal comfort or an intellectual pursuit. But we must allow the Bible to read us and train us in God's ways. I remember in school being asked to define certain words without using that word in the definition. How many of you ever found that challenging? There are just certain words that are difficult to find. I remember in my master's program, we were required on certain projects to quote multiple sources. This morning, what I'm going to do is look at one source, the Bible, and see what this one source says about itself. I'm going to let this book define itself. If you have your Bibles today, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at several different passages of Scripture this morning as you're taking notes. This is the first one that we're looking at, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, and he says, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. And for the power that it has to transform our lives, God, we ask that in the reading of your word today that it would transform our hearts, that you would open up our ears to hear our hearts to receive and our minds to understand what you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul wrote to Timothy that he has been acquainted with the words that we find in the Bible from his childhood. What a blessing to him and those of you who have grown up reading the Bible. You have a head start. Parents, I want to encourage you to give your kids the same blessing. And if your kids don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to buy one for them. And if you're like, we don't have the money to buy our kids a Bible, please find me or Pastor uh, Madison or PG or any of the pastoral staff, and we will buy your kids a Bible. It's that important. It's the greatest investment we could ever make as a church to give your kids a book that they would read that will shape and form the way that they see Jesus and transform their lives. In addition, or in the meantime, the Bible app is free on any uh, app store, and there are multiple translations of the Bible that you can read for free on there. And Paul calls what we know now as the Bible sacred writings. It's not an accumulation of what man thinks about things. It's a collection of what God thinks on the matter. He continues, Paul continues after calling this sacred writings in verse number 15, to say that these writings are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. Salvation comes through Christ alone, and we see that in the Bible. Paul reiterates that this text is sacred by writing in verse number 16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's God-breathed and useful. He says that it... It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The first word that he uses there is teaching. 
The word of God shows us what's true and serves as instructions to us. It's an instruction manual for our lives. It teaches us on every aspect of life in every season. In the Bible, we'll find biblical family structure. The definition of right and wrong. We'll see uh, instructions on sexual ethics and relationships and expectations from husband to wife and wife to husband and parent to kid and kid to parent. He continues with reproof and correction. I can assure you that if you're reading the Bible, it will not always affirm your attitudes and actions. Right? If in reading the Bible you don't find areas of your life that need correction, you're either beyond prideful and delusional or you haven't read enough of it. Right? It speaks to us. We all fall short of the glory of God and there's so much in the Bible that if we'll read it and study and learn and implement it in our lives, it'll lead to truly a better way. We desire to be changed and to follow God's way of living. That transformation comes by being trained or discipled in his ways. This is the next thing in the list that Paul gave Timothy, writing in the word of God is useful in training in righteousness. How many of you played baseball or softball growing up? Would you raise your hand? Okay, I played baseball. I don't remember the first time that I put a bat in my hand, but I'm confident that my dad gave me the bat. He showed me how to hold it, right, and and how to swing the bat. And then I would have started out in T-ball where the coach would have given me the finer instructions on how to bat, you know, like number one, look at the ball, bend your knees, any of these things, step closer, step further away. And the coach guided me in the nuance of the sport, training me in the right way to play and position positioning my body in the correct stance. God's word trains us in right living. We're not just told what not to do, but what we should do instead, and we're trained in righteousness. And Bible reading and study goes beyond a quiet time fulfillment that makes us feel good. It's to train up God's people to serve him faithfully. Training takes time, and it can be uncomfortable, and there aren't always immediate rewards. Richard Foster wrote a book called Seeing the Bible Afresh. And in his book, he reflects on how we should read the Bible. He writes, if we want to receive from the Bible the life with God that is portrayed in the Bible, we must be prepared to have our dearest and most fundamental assumptions about ourselves and our associations called into question. We must read humbly and in a constant attitude of repentance. Only in this way can we gain a thorough and practical grasp of the spiritual riches that God has made available to all humanity in his written word. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As we continue to look to the Bible to define itself, I want us to turn to Jeremiah chapter 23, verse number 29. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse number 29. Jeremiah 23, 29, the Lord says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. 
As I see these words, I think of several different images. The other night I saw a guy on a show uh, making some primitive weapons with just rocks. And I saw him take a rock like a hammer and hit it on another rock and begin to shape an axe out of that. The hammer broke off the pieces of something that was useless and he shaped it into something that was useful. We see in this passage that the word of God is like a hammer, that it breaks off the pieces in us that are useless, that are not glorifying to God. And as it does, it shapes us into tools of righteousness to be used for his glory. The other image that we see in Jeremiah chapter 23 is that of fire. And so the other image for me that comes to mind is thinking of the show Forged in Fire where contestants will take some steel and they'll stick it into a really hot oven called a forge and they'll heat it up and then they'll set it on an anvil and that metal heated up with a hammer swinging down on it shapes it into some of the coolest masterpieces that you've ever seen or some of the strongest weapons that you've ever seen. But it's a combination of the heat and a combination of the hammer. With this example, it takes both of those things and the fire burns away and melts away the things that don't glorify God in our lives. It melts away the impurities of, and what's left is something pure and strong for the glory of God. Once this happens, the other thing that fire does is it sets things ablaze. The warmth of a fire on a cool day or the light of a lamp is a great thing. And when we're set ablaze by the word of God, we bring comfort and the light of Jesus to the world around us. On this theme, another way that the Bible defines or describes itself is found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, for the word of God is living and active. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and active. It's not an irrelevant book for us. It's God-breathed, and thousands of years later, it's still piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of man. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. As we read the Bible, if it's like a hammer, if it's like a fire, if it's like a sword, then as we read it, then after reading it, the rough edges should be smashed off of us. Our hearts pierced by the sword of the Spirit and set ablaze to burn bright for God. The Word of God is powerful. Even simply reading it out loud is powerful. I want us to look at another passage this morning that's found in 2 Kings chapter 22. In 2 Kings chapter 22, we pick up with the life of Josiah. He's, a, he's eight years old when he becomes the king. Can you imagine an eight-year-old king? Can you imagine if tomorrow at the Iowa caucuses that it was a bunch of eight-year-olds? Might not look much different. In the 18th year of King Shaphan, he... King Josiah, let me restart that sentence. In the 18th year of King Josiah, he sent Shaphan to get into the safe at the house of the Lord. To count the funds that were there and to disperse those to those who are working on rebuilding the house of the Lord and also to purchase the supplies. And while he was there, the high priest said to him, hey, when we were looking for all that money, we also found this book of the law in there. 
And for those of you who are like, what is the book of the law? The book of the law is the first five books of this Bible that we read today. And so in the, in the house of the Lord, with all of the funds, they found the first five books of the Bible. And Shaphan comes back and he begins reading this book to King Josiah. And in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse number 10, it says that after Shaphan is reading these words, the king was moved by the words that are found in this book, and he tears his clothes. And so he sends some people out after hearing these words to inquire what these words mean for him and for the nation. And he said, great is the wrath of the Lord that has kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that's written concerning us. And he recognized that in this moment, with all the power that he had as a king, it was no match for the power of the king of kings. And the words that came back to the king after these were sent out to report back to him, these are the words that came back to him in verse number 18 of 2 Kings chapter 22. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord of God of Israel, Regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you've humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you've torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back this word to the king. I'm summarizing this, and I would encourage you this week in your own time to, to read both of these chapters in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 2 Kings chapter 23. But after all of this, this king makes a covenant with the Lord in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse number 3, to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul. He makes this personal commitment and then he begins to clean house in the nation. He removed all the ungodly priests who were offering up sacrifices to idols. He tore down idols. He destroyed the houses of the cult prostitutes. He tore down the high places and the altars that were used to sacrifice to other gods. He removed shrines and idols. He cleaned house. The reading of the word of God led to personal repentance for King Josiah and the cleaning of the house of a nation. He goes on to restore Passover, and all of this happens simply because somebody read out loud the word of God to him. The word of God is powerful. In 2 Kings chapter 23, verse number 25, says this about the king who was changed by the power of this word. He says, before him there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord, with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. What a transformation and what a testimony of his life. Leading the nation far from God, the word of God is read to him, led to personal repentance and the changing of a nation. And what was said to him, said of him, because somebody read the word of the Lord to him, was there's been no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. There's a book called How to Hear God by Pete Gregg. 
And in it, he wrote, I continue to believe in the life-changing power of reading the Bible slowly, attentively, and imaginatively, whether alone or with others, seeking conversations with God rather than information about God from the text, and approaching the scriptures not just as a picture to be studied, but as a wide open window to the world. The Bible, the word of God, has power. It's the word of God. And when we humble ourselves to look to scripture to be the truth that we look to in life, when we base decisions off of it rather than our feelings, it changes us and it changes those around us. When we allow scripture to shape us rather than trying to shape scripture to our image, then it leads to humility and repentance. When we see God as holy and his word as holy, it'll lead to personal repentance. People are hungry to be moved by God's word and by God's spirit from where they are to where they belong. And when we let the word of God read us, it'll lead us to a pure devotion to Jesus that's marked by humility and holiness and a hunger for the things of God. It will lead to a life of joy and peace and delight and a deeper relationship with the one who created the heavens and the earth and who created us. It will lead to a deeper relationship with a God who loved us so much that he sent his only son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And he extends an invitation to each of us to grow deeper in our relationship with him by the words on these pages that are all God breathed and inspired by him that's useful for teaching, for rebuke, for reproof, to shape us into the men and the women of God to be used by him. I'm gonna ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior. You say, today I wanna become a follower of him. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him. You say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time, or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three, lift them up all across this room. Thank you, I see that hand. You can put it down, two, three. Are there others this morning? You can. Thank you, God. Let's all stand. There were at least three hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. Know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior, be my king. Take over every area, take over every aspect and help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning.
you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask that you would do a couple of things. One is that you would look to the person on your left or right and let them know of the decision that you've made today so that they can encourage you in this journey that God's going to take you on. In addition to that, in just a moment, the prayer team's going to be at both sides of the stage. And I would encourage you to come out, to step out of your seat and come forward and let somebody pray a prayer of blessing over you. We leave time at the end of each of our services for people to receive prayer. In just a moment, the worship team's going to lead us in another song. The prayer team's going to make their way to both sides of the stage. And if you've come here today needing prayer for anything, I would encourage you to step out of your seat. So I'm going to pray. Worship team's going to lead us in another song. I encourage you to step out. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that it's like a hammer and like a fire and like a sword. And that in all of your word, it's not to harm us, but instead it's to shape us and mold us into the men and the women of God that you've called us to be. And so, Lord, I pray that as we as disciples practice spiritual disciplines, that we would grow in our relationship with you. Lord, that your word would be like a hammer that would flake off the the parts that have no use in us that aren't glorifying to you. And, And God, in its place would be a sharp edge that would be useful for you. That we would be tools of righteousness for your name's sake. God, we pray that your word would be like a fire that would melt away the sin and the impurities in our life. That as we come across scriptures in your word that, that our lives are out of alignment with, Lord, we wouldn't look to, this, to, to try to shape scripture into our lifestyle. But God, instead, we would let our lifestyle be shaped by your word, that your word would melt away sin in our lives. And, and that a clear reflection of you would be seen in our lives. God, we pray that your word would be like a double-edged sword that would pierce directly to the motives of our hearts. Lord, that it would speak to us. God, even in this room today, as your word has been spoken out loud, it's led to people repenting and turning to you. God, we pray as we continue to engage in your word, that it would lead to personal repentance on our part, and Lord, that it would lead to repentance in our community, in our nation, in our world, for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.